0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey everybody. The other people podcast is offered freely. All episodes of this show, more than 600 episodes and counting are all available for free. It's a listener supported show. Your support makes a difference if you want to throw a few bucks in the hat. You can do that at Patreon.com slash other PPL pod. That's Patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Thank you. Hey, Hey, How's it going? Welcome to The Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy. It's good to be with you. I'm in Los Angeles. I have Zulema Renee Summerfield on the program today. Boy, did I have a nice time meeting her and talking with her and learning about her. She is the author of a novel called Every Other Weekend, which is available now in a uh, lovely trade paperback edition from Back Bay Books. Again, it's called Every Other Weekend by, uh, Zulema Renee Summerfield. So I don't have much to say. I'm sort of, uh, I'm pressed for time here. I was going to read some mail, but maybe I'll put it off until next time. What do I have here? Yeah, I can't get into it. Oh my God. Yeah, these are like, I've been getting like increasingly long and like complicated letters. Not a bad thing, but, uh, It's Like I can't just like quickly do it off the cuff. I need to invest myself. So let's just get to my conversation with Zulema Renee Summerfield, shall we? Let's do that. It was a good conversation. I'm excited to to, uh, share it with you right now. Are you ready? This is Zulema Renee Summerfield, and her novel, again, is called Every Other Weekend.
1: I knew from the get-go that I wanted to end the novel with the fall of the Berlin Wall, which for me as a person was re- a really significant, I was a kid, but I remember it happening and I remember being deeply moved by it, even though I had no idea what was happening. I just remember watching it on the news and being um, really moved by these people rising up you know, for their freedom. I didn't at all understand the context, but I understood that it was powerful. And you had a sense of history. Uh, Yeah. However, that I would have defined that as a child, it was, I felt the momentousness of it as a kid. However, that happened before the events that take place in the novel. So I had to move things around historically. So when the, let's call it the pivotal event, if you will, that happens in the novel, she's eight in the book. She's nine by that point. I was like 12. So there's that kind of moving around. There's also, for example, the the pivotal event happens in the novel and uh, the main character and her two blood siblings move to the dad's house. So they go from the mom's house to the dad's house. We didn't do that. We weren't lifted out of mom's house and airdropped to dad's house. So, um, but I made that decision for a reason because emotionally it resonated with that kind of rift, you know, and I wanted to have it take place in two houses. So those were decisions I made on a fiction level that weren't those, the things didn't happen in real life, you Mm. know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, those kinds of choices that you make at some point in the writing, even if you're drawing from your own life and I tend to write about my own life all the time just sort of how i work you know
0: you know i'm amazed by people who can do otherwise in a way yeah
1: i can't get Uh, over myself yeah (laughs) yeah maybe i don't even know if it's a it's got to be an ego thing but also i think for me personally i'm just often very overwhelmed and very confused by the experience of just being and so mining my own interactions both with myself and my people in the world as a way to understand those things better.
0: I couldn't agree uh, more. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, like, yes, there's, I guess you can make an argument for ego, but I think there's also something selfless about being willing to excavate one's own Thank self you. and experience. Thank you, Brad. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> You're an amazing human being.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and or and also how you can touch upon the universal with the very personal right? right so um wait. so can i ask you about your book then because yeah. you're almost done what's your where uh, are you? i'm not
0: almost done oh. i'm like sorry i actually I was... had a good i had a good session last weekend i'm so busy with my like day job and life in general that i have limited time to work on it but i had like a couple hours with it last saturday and i was like oh like you know how sometimes you're like oh like this yeah. doesn't Suck like yes. There's some hope here. Feeling yeah. <laughs> and then of course it fluctuates, but yeah. Um, I think there's I think there's a hope. I just think that this one is just for whatever reason going to take me an extra long time. Yeah. This is one of those books that's got an extra long gestation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it also might be the case that you have to get a certain distance from certain things in order to mm-hmm. even know
1: mm-hmm.
0: how to finish. Yeah like sometimes you just need time to do its work. Yeah. And I can see that being part of the equation too.
1: Well, and I also have this hippy dippy thing. I call it hippy dippy that I've sort of developed in recent years of writing which is um I genuinely believe that every piece that you write has its own time frame that you can't rush or try to um anticipate. And things will come to you in their time. And the only thing you can do is just show up you know, but which is why people are like, Oh, some, some, some things take me a month to write and something, one story took me a month and one story took me a year. I, I genuinely believe that those pieces kind of have a life of their own and they will come to you when they need to, you know?
0: Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature
1: go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line
0: what about like characters living in your head and plots to novels and fantasies like are you one of these writers who you're constantly beset by these visions of stories you want because i don't have that
1: yeah i don't really have that i definitely talk to myself kind of all day long um I think it's charming probably. Um, but I'm not sure. Charming to whom? I don't know me. Like if there was a witness to it, (laughs) actually, um, this is dumb and I'm just going to go with it. It's fine. Last year I was like, Ooh, I have a character for sketch comedy. I don't do sketch comedy, but the character is called cat lady, international spy. And the premise is that There's a woman who's a spy and there's a van outside and there's other spies spying on her and she's just in her house and it's wiretapped and she's talking to herself and they think they're going to get international secrets, but she's literally just talking to her cats and whatever. It's so dumb, but this is what I do all day. I just am in my house (laughs) narrating things and talking. Um, Does that, what was the question?
0: I mean, just about like having like, do you have like a million novels in you?
1: Uh, I definitely have a million projects in me for sure. Um, yes. Simple answer. But what are they?
0: But I mean, are they, are they fiction or do you have like other, like, do you want to write screenplays? Do you have comedy aspirations?
1: Um, well, right now I'm working on another novel, which to your point, novels are really, really hard to write. I'm not sure why we do it. Such a labor of love. I'm working on a novel. Um, I have aspirations to write a nonfiction book about writing, a uh, short story collection I would like to do before I die. There's a film I would like to write before I die, maybe some poems, but probably not because I'm not a poet. So yeah, I, what about you? Do you have... No, but uh, no? I've, I've talked yeah. to
0: people who are like very defined. They're like, I have six more books I'm going to write yeah. before my death. And yeah. then there are other people who are just like so generative... And just like love to make up stories,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: and like live in like a, a fictional world, like yeah, universe, yeah. Um, you know, so there's, I guess, it takes all kinds, yeah. But for me, it's like I've got to be like to, to do the grinding work of writing a long form book project, yeah. Like I've got to have something really bothering me,
1: <laughs> like what? What does that mean?
0: Like grief, trauma, yeah. Like some sort of deep, like existential life confusion, pain.
1: In order to dive into all the work that a novel requires. I that think you so. Yeah. Or
0: like to even like feel like I need to have, feel like I have, I have something to say. Mm. Like, even if only to myself, like yeah. I need to work this out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's real. Um, yeah.
0: But, and I guess that's fine.
1: Well, can I change, um lanes just a tiny bit because there's something I've been wanting to say to you for a very long time oh god um no it's a good thing I don't want to add to your plate because I know you're a busy man you're a family man you're a working man <laughs> but I genuinely think that your weird meta tweets about podcasts need to be a book they're so hilarious there's a um a tiny book by ticknot hunt Well, it's a compilation do you know what I'm talking about it's like pocket size yeah I'm and sure. it's like little meditations i really want brad listy's <laughs> weird fucking weird tweets about podcasting to be a little book
0: you're talking about like when i'm, I'm basically taking like maxims about writing
1: oh my god about life they're and amazing
0: a, and about life but a lot of the stuff i feel like they're because the writing bless it like yeah. i love writing yeah. i love writers but like we can't take ourselves in our profession yeah. a bit too seriously yes. But like, the
1: tweets are hilarious. They're like, um, if a podcaster podcasts in the woods and there's no one around to, to record it, does it make a sound? Whatever you're tweeting, I'm like, oh, my God, these are so genius. And there's so many of them. And I feel like you and I know people in publishing. I, f- I think we can make this happen.
0: Well, we'll yeah. see. We'll yeah. see if we can realize your dream for me. But yeah. <laughs> it's also... I
1: want you to add it to your list of dreams because they're so good.
0: Well, and I also I think that there's also it's also me grappling in like a. Uh, comedic way because it doesn't it doesn't bother me that much like podcasting's doing well frankly yeah. like I, I used to joke that it's like the new blogging because like everybody yes. has one and yes. you know blogging is like you know no respect podcasting sort of that way like it's kind of like this bastard child thing to do and yet I think it's really popular people like podcasts yeah, yeah. Like, you know um, and there's also confusion in me over like what am I up to here like is this a creative act?
1: Mm-hmm. am i making
0: art mm-hmm. am i like self-indulgent mm-hmm. um but i also i don't know I, like ultimately i feel great about it i love these conversations mm-hmm. and like doing the show it's fun yeah um but i also you know it's it's certainly not uh as it doesn't get a ton of respect or something i don't know
1: can't get no respect, can't get no respect. <laughs> the rodney danger field of yes of creative content production <laughs> Uh, Well, I but I think that there's obviously a hilarious self awareness to those tweets, and to anybody who's not following on Twitter, I highly recommend following other people. Brad Lysy at other PPL, come on, yeah. And he didn't pay me to say this, by the way, (laughs) Um, because of the self awareness, because you're so mocking the self seriousness of it, and precisely because podcasting, everybody has a podcast, gets a bad rap, rep, rap.
0: Um, we've reached like peak podcast, I think.
1: Yeah. And you're mocking that in a brilliant, hilarious way. I just really think that that should be a little book. And I have visions of me like, I'm going to go on a hike and going on a hike. There's nobody there. I reach in my pocket, pull out my little podcasting (laughs) tweet book, meditate, you know,
0: (laughs) maybe that's my ticket. That'll be my huge breakout bestseller. (laughs) Um, so I want to talk to you about anxiety
1: Please, That sounds exciting. I'm going to sip my water.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So I think uh, part of this is selfish because I have an anxious child. My daughter, who's Mm -hmm. nine, is like, she's just extra aware and anxious in a way that like touches me, but also like is heartbreaking because she's like worried she's going to get shot. She's worried she's going to get lost or abducted or like she's like kind of coming into uh, touch with the the problems of the world, the
1: bigness of it and yeah. you
0: know, what can go wrong. And then I think with my son being born with some challenges, I think that accelerated it. I think she's, you know, she's experiencing this too. It's really mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. And so she's looking at him and he can't walk yet. And he has to go to therapy and she's there with him. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's trying to process this with her little brain. Yeah. And so nine. She's nine. Yeah. And just sometimes the things that come out of her mouth, you're like, Oh boy, you're too yeah. young to be asking yeah. these questions, Yeah. and I don't, I don't have a good answer. Yeah, You're like, <laughs> like a podcast, <laughs> yeah, just a podcaster, honey. <laughs> not, a, not a genius, uh, but yeah. So I guess like you know the the protagonist of your book, Nenny, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah, yeah. um, you felt familiar to me, yeah, and uh, I guess uh, like my selfish personal question is like, you you were an anxious kid, I'm imagining, yeah. And like, yeah. you seem, you seem well adjusted. You came out Thank of it. Thank you. <laughs> like, how much should I be worried? Well, like how, how much of that? I'm trying to remember my own childhood too, because like, I don't think I was, I don't think I was super anxious. I think yeah. I had some anxieties, yeah. but I'm not like, yeah, I wasn't like super keyed up. Like, did well, you have that? And did you, how did you work through it?
1: So a couple of things. One, I don't think I realized how anxious I was until I started writing the book you know, we talked about kind of teasing apart your own life and being like, oh, wow. So there's that. Um, though I do remember being probably around your daughter's age. Um, and maybe I was 10 or 11, and I would go around and check all the locks before bed, which I still do. This is OCD, this is anxiety. And I was doing it one night, and my little brother said, he goes, Why do you do that every night? He got angry. Why do you-? And I was, I was a child and I was shocked. It was like, um, I knew that I was doing it, but I didn't quite know that I was doing it. And, and it was horrifying to know that there was a witness to it. One, that somebody else was noticing this behavior and two, it was upsetting to him. It was triggering his own anxiety to see somebody going around the house, checking the locks every night, kind of compulsively, you know, um, So I think that was the first time as a young person when I was like, oh, this is a thing. I don't like to use the word normal, but when it kind of clicked, oh, not everybody's going around checking, not a nine-year-old child checking the locks of their own house, like from an adult perspective, whoa, that's intense. Was this after your parents split up? Yeah. Because my parents split when I was like five.
0: So yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking like, maybe there's like a sense of like safety loss of safety. I sort well, of feel that I can kind of feel that with just raising a kid in the city. You Like they see things and you're like, well, I guess the secrets out. Yeah. <laughs> the world's fucked yeah. up. You know? Well, like, and
1: I don't want, don't want to say too much about it now just for a number of reasons. But, um, I also been writing about this other thing that happened when I was young that had nothing to do with the divorce. That was a violation of our home. Somebody coming into our home and violating our space and so, uh, you know, I was like three when that happened. Ugh. So, like, obviously that's going to trigger lifelong anxiety. So to go back to your original question, um, a couple of thoughts about your daughter. And I'm just going to, as they come, share them. One, which I would love to share with you, somebody posted to Instagram this cute little graphic of ways to talk to your anxious child. There's like nine or ten ways to talk to I'm your probably
0: anxious probably failing child. on all of these counts. Uh,
1: but the thing is that you... As your daughter was not born with anxiety, neither are any of us born with a skill set to just naturally address it. We have to learn these things. We have to develop these tools, right? Right. Um, And I can, side note, guarantee you're not screwing it up if you're thinking about it, if it's on your radar. Like, that's already massive right oh, good okay yeah so i don't you don't need me to affirm you but um actually i do please okay good so we've got your little book of tweets and we've got you're a good parent so present me with a list Just of... build me up by the
0: end of this interview i want to be whole okay
1: good that's why i'm here um anyway it's this really beautiful list of ways to interact with a child about their fears and anxieties so one for example that i can recall off the top of my head is um let's breathe together for example or um can can you imagine how this might turn out well whatever I kind of made that one up but these really cute creative ways to engage with fear and engage with anxiety that are meaningful because often what we do is we go oh there's nothing to worry about you're being paranoid you're overthinking it that's not helping anybody right so um so I would just say that and in terms of interacting with a child, but as an adult, I've done a lot of therapy.
0: Okay, because I was going to yeah. ask, like, how did the how did the how did the anxiety um, manifest, or did it continue to manifest as you got older? Oh
1: yeah, my whole life for whole sure. Life. And only in the last two or three years have I really been like one. This is very much a sign of trauma. Two, I have real agency here in terms of how I can move with myself and be with these things. And uh, I mean, it's a ton of work, but also I don't want to be like this anymore. And I, I want to change because it's a lot of it's neurological, right? I want to change these, this wiring because it's not serving me anymore. So how do I change those things? And it's a ton of work. Um,
0: like to what? get those neural pathways recarved or whatever. Yeah.
1: For sure. So here's a small example that I've been doing lately. I, because I'm hardwired for anxiety, I can get anxious about anything, anything, you name it, anything. So it's not just like
0: a particular set or, you know, area of your life that triggers it. It can be,
1: it can be too much caffeine and I'm, my wheels are spinning. Right. So one thing I've been trying to do lately is, I mean, I can, this sounds kind of wacko, but this is my truth. I can feel this left side of my brain is where the anxiety lives and it moves very fast and it goes over here. And this is the right side of my brain is more like chill, right? So I started to pay attention to this fast moving. And in those moments, it takes a lot of work. I go, okay, what can I do to turn this way? So what I will do, for example, is, Oh my God! Here's all the things that could go wrong. For example, okay, stop. What is something I can get excited about? And I, liter- it's like literally picking, it, like picking something up and moving it. it, gets easier with practice. But I now I try to go. What's something I can get excited about? What's something I'm stoked about? And that could be anything. Oh, I'll eat some ice cream later. Whatever, you know.
0: Yeah, like when your mind sinks its teeth into something and you're like agitated about it or anxious about it. It really is a chore to like, let it go.
1: Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's, um, you know, I have young people in my life, nieces and nephews and see that anxiety enliven in them at times. And it's, God, it's so painful to witness. And I'm like you, it's like, what, what can I do as an adult to make this easier for these, even, you know, for peers or each other, but it's really painful to watch young people have that kind of. Anxiety, because you're like you're a kid. You should be doing kid stuff. Right. You know, it's yeah. like there's
0: plenty of time to be anxious and yeah. freaked out. You They're have like your you whole should, life. Yeah, you got, you got your whole life ahead of you to totally. be an anxious mess. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't. I think you also can't insulate your children from the world. You know, there's only so much homeschooling, and right. you know, nor
1: should you probably. R- yeah. I don't have kids, but yeah,
0: I you know I've never been a fan. I'm so I sort of like like you know go out and take your lumps and learn from life and. It'll make you stronger. But there is also I think that just natural parental desire to sort of protect.
1: Of course. And there
0: are certain things that no nine year old should have to be worrying about. Yes. Um and So
1: can I ask in those moments, what do you do now? What are some things you guys do in your household to
0: Um, I think what I do is I try not to react to fear and anxiety with fear and anxiety.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So it's like I think I just try to stay chill and then what I will tell her to do is to take deep breaths and when she's afraid or anxious and to recognize it and to silently call it out by name. Yeah. Uh, which is how I deal with it. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it, you know, I think she kind of does it sometimes there's, you know, at that age, she's just starting to get to the age where I think some of these things could stick deep breathing, Mm -hmm. diaphragmatic breathing. I think when you have a difficult emotion, passing through you, like mind and body. I think just the simple act of naming it yeah, and saying hello to it, not resisting it or penalizing yeah. yourself for it diminishes its power. Yeah. And it's subtle, but it's effective.
1: It's so powerful. It's so beautiful in part because it's so subtle, right?
0: But to a child, uh, I think sometimes they're like, it's not working. Yeah, I still feel anxious. Yeah, And it's like, yeah, you do, but at least now, you know, you do whereas before you were just being the thing. Yes. You were being the fear yes. being the anxiety. And so it's just getting that distance and trying to make her make that connection. And so I'll do that stuff. But you know, if you get too heavy handed about it, she's like, dad,
1: stop. stop. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then
0: she doesn't want to do it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always like, you know, when she was really little, like four, I tried to get her to do meditation and, you know, parents try to do that stuff. <laughs> and I quickly realized like, She was sort of into it at first as like a novelty. Yeah. And then as the days piled up and I kept trying to make her do it, I could see her just being like,
1: dad. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so I stopped. Yeah. Last thing I want to do is turn her away from something that could genuinely be useful and healthy
1: in the long run by making it
0: like an onerous, uh, homework kind of Mm -hmm. chore. So I think my general attitude as a parent is to just lead by example. And to hope that she'll pick it up, I think she'll pick it up over yeah. time. I mean, sometimes you got to intervene, but I'm I'm a pretty hands off dad. Like maybe to a fault. You're almost. just
1: podcasting all the time. I'm just <laughs> in You're going to be fine. Daddy's it's, got a podcast. It's a police chopper.
0: <laughs> just calm down. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> they'll, they'll find him. Don't worry, honey. Well,
1: just... I will say this. So. um, and I don't take it with a grain of salt, but the last couple of years, the last two years have been very personally intense. I went through divorce that I was not expecting, very intense and very derailing for destabilizing. And so um, coming out of it in the last six months, six or nine months, I've been doing a lot of like, oh, these are the things that really got me through. The big things are, were therapy and my community. But in addition to that... What's your community? My people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like my friends and my family, right? Which to me, close friends and family is the same thing. My family. It's called my family. Um, Interestingly, writing was not one of those things because writing is hard. So writing did not help me with my depression and anxiety in the last couple of years. But a couple of things did, which I will mention here. Um, Music. Like really getting in my head and being like, I need to get out of my head and just putting on pop music, total game changer. Right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that will help your child if she likes music, but, um, and also I'm now a total geek for the New York Times crossword puzzle. Probably a little advanced for a nine year old, but it works because you're taking all of, doing a puzzle is useful because you have all of this anxious energy and you're channeling it into, you're giving your brain an outlet for that, you know, energy needs to go somewhere except
0: when like the theme of the puzzle is like natural disasters (laughs) sure
1: um yeah that's a good point but even i don't know i'm not um well yeah i was terrified of earthquakes when i was a kid terrified of them i was like literally pulling out my own hair Uh, this probably isn't helpful for you to hear no i mean no it's like i
0: feel like when we had the earthquakes earlier this summer she she was a little spooked That'll freak her out. Yeah. I was strange. I'm strangely not spooked. Yeah. Maybe I should be more once again. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, I I was like standing on our little balcony out here when it happened, which is like maybe the the most exposed place to be.
1: Yeah.
0: And it just started bouncing and I was like, oh, cool. Like I, I don't get freaked out by it. Yeah. But maybe we just haven't had a big, wait, so
1: let's get, let's get really real. Yeah. What do you get freaked out by?
0: I think like, you know, something happening to a child.
1: To your family. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean like just the basic core primal fears. Um,
1: yeah. I, I don't want to
0: sound like, uh, you know, it can sound hubristic and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk a big game cause I'm sure there are plenty of things that could level me mm. where I would be thrown off my, my base. But like, I feel like I'm, I, I've come to terms with just the basic mechanics of life, like the unpredictability of it and the yeah. finiteness of it and the impermanence of all things like yeah. here today, gone tomorrow. I'm not really sentimental uh, about most things. I mean, I like occasionally, you know, like, like I hang up my son's drawings, mm-hmm. you know, like his little They're scribbles, beautiful, by the way, but eventually, uh, you know, just to be honest, like, I don't know if I'm going to like have them forever. Yeah. Like we have this Dropbox because like, we take all these photos, photos with our phone. And they go, I'm like, well, eventually we're going to like lose our phone or our phone could crash. So we want to have them backed up. Yeah. I will. I almost guarantee you never look at any of those photos. I'm not that person. Yeah. I'm, I'm in, I'm onto the next or whatever, you know, like maybe eventually I will, you but might.
1: it's, yeah, I, I it's such know. a big
0: pile. How would yeah. I even find anything? Yeah. And I don't have the time to sit around like alphabetizing everything, yeah. but I want them to be there. Like just in case my kids want them or yeah. something like I don't like the idea of them going completely away, but like I personally am not of the temperament um you know to to be looking back a lot. I don't like to look back. Yeah. And I don't like to look too far forward. That's sort I of think my... I think
1: I'm the same. I think well, I don't know. So, so a family member recently drop boxed or whatever a ton of photos of you know my grandparents and interacting with those, fo- they're gone now, interacting with those photos five, ten years later was very meaningful. But I wouldn't want the t- tangible, it's just too much crap, you right. know, like not to say family photos are crap. You've got to Marie
0: Kondo those archives, yeah. like, you know, yeah. make, keep the good ones. Yes. But eventually, maybe that's what I'll do. Because there's going to be a lot of garbage selfies and yeah. p- pictures of somebody's arm by accident. <laughs> it's a phone. Garbage
1: selfies. You know, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But just like you know, yeah, especially once your kids get a hold of these devices, like my daughter is like on my account, so like it's so annoying. Every single iPad photo she takes shows up on my phone. Yes. So like I'll pick up my phone and there'll be like 170 of the yeah, same. Yeah, but you
1: know what? Someday she's going to be a teenager and she's going to be too cool for that shit. Yeah. And you're going to miss the days I when know. your phone was flooded with I know. pointless selfies. We're already
0: approaching that cusp. Like she's still a little girl. Yeah. She's nine. And it's like she's going to get braces soon. And it's really just a year or two. Yeah. And then they start to be like, I want a phone. Yeah. You're boring. Like yeah. There's always, there's already Let's a little. Cherish it. it, Brad. I'm trying cherish to. It. I'm trying to. Yeah. Trying to be, you know, it's it's hard to be a good parent. Um, Like to do it well, I think that might might be part of why I'm more hands off. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like, uh, not negligent, I hope, but just not like I'm not helicopter parenting. Yeah, she's gonna have her own life. Yeah, I've only got her for. I mean, I feel like too. Like, I'm a realist. They're here for 18 years, and then I want her to go on and have her own existence. She may not. She may not. She'll be here. She'll be in the garage <laughs> she, with me. It's a nice garage. <laughs> yeah, just like vaping and being like, dad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm trying to, I guess I feel like the, the I do what I feel like I should do, but I'm not going to get neurotic about it because I feel like people need to figure things out for themselves. I want her to be confident and to be resourceful. She doesn't need me micromanaging. Were you that
1: way when you were young?
0: I was, when what I, were you like? my mom tells a story of me when she was, cause I, you know, I went to a little public school in suburban Milwaukee
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the first day of kindergarten, like we used to just walk to school. Yeah. It was, we lived close by. My friends and I would just walk to school. Yeah. Walk home unsupervised. But it was like the first day of kindergarten. And my mom was like, well, all the moms are like walking their children to school. My mom walked me out the door and I was like, what are you doing?
1: You were embarrassed?
0: I was like, I got this. Oh, wow. Uh, I was like, leave me. You were six? I was like four
1: or five. I was like, I don't want you anywhere near me.
0: So like, I think that's just like emblematic of this like independent feeling. I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. My mom was like, what? You know, don't you want me? (laughs) I was like, no, I got it.
1: You walked away and she's like, he's going to be a podcaster. (laughs) (laughs) That was was the moment she knew.
0: (laughs) And you know what? It, It definitely like that little character trait, wherever it comes from, was consistent. Yeah. Throughout my youth. Yeah. Um, and sort of like, a if, you know, tell me the stove, is, the stove is hot. I'm going to touch it to find oh, out. You're myself. one of those kind of, yeah. but also, but also I think I got bad information. I've said this before. Like I was in the just say no generation, which you yes. know, writing about the eighties as you do yes. in your book, like, um, there were adults in my orbit who were telling me, just say no to everything this is a common example and then like once you find out that that's really kind of that's stupid and mm-hmm. that the blanket way in which they were treating drugs and the drug experience wasn't accurate mm-hmm. like once that I, I i believed that actually as a young child like yeah. i was like okay like i believed earnestly the adults in my life who were telling me things and i think once i became aware of the fact that they were wrong.
1: <laughs> Wait, but I have to stop here because I have a question for you. Yeah. What what would you or do you tell your nine-year-old about drugs or drug use?
0: Um, I will tell her no pills, no powders. Huh. I, I will tell her... That alcohol often You will
1: tell her. You don't have these conversations yet. Is that what you mean? I mean,
0: like, I I don't think she's really there. I think if she asks questions about it, I'll try to be honest. I think, like, the most important thing to do, just my personal opinion, is to give your kids honest, accurate information about the substances. It's like, look, pot is not the same thing as fentanyl. Yeah. Or methamphetamine. Yeah. Um, If somebody would have sat me down and been like, look, okay this is cocaine. Mm-hmm. This is heroin.
1: Mm-hmm. This
0: is crystal meth. Mm-hmm. This is weed. And then like, this is what they do. Yeah. This is what the chances of addiction are. Yeah. This is how they make you behave. This is what, you know, you start showing like before and after pictures of like meth addicts. Yeah. You know, I think you just got to be real with people because the problem in this particular example is that if you give, um, a just say no blanket assessment to all of these things. And you don't actually uh, explain it better than when your kid smokes a joint and like the sky doesn't fall on them. Yeah. They're going to be like, whatever Screw I'm, you, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go do everything, which is what I yeah, did. You did that. And uh fortunately I don't have like an addictive tendency.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I think
0: I also like, you know, I was raised well, my parents did a nice job. I was, wasn't going to destroy myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't have that, you know, I always had like a foot in reality. Mm -hmm. I just genuinely wanted to know for myself. Yeah. And I think I could have avoided some bumps in the road if I would have been dealing with better information.
1: I just had a genius idea that we can split the proceeds, hashtag copyright to the (laughs) listeners. But it's based on a philosophy that I don't think either you or I ascribe to, but it's still hilarious. Um, if you give a mouse a joint and it's all about, you know, the downward, <laughs> it's hilarious. You know, if you give a mouse a cookie, they're genius, right? Yeah, yeah. If you give a mouse a joint and then by the end of it, he's strung out on whatever. That's what I was drugs. told though. Yeah. That's what I was no, told. I know.
0: I think like, I, I think I'll be like cigarettes would really bum me out. Um, just cause they're you know,
1: you mean I, if she, st- yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Cause it's just like, ugh it's so bad for you and it doesn't give you much, you know? And yet, you know, I smoked, uh, not proud of it, but I did. And I mm-hmm. can still find a certain weird glamor in it. If I'm being honest, I still like the smell of like secondhand smoke mixed with mm-hmm. gasoline. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm not like some sort of, uh, I don't want to be preachy, but that would bother me to you see your child smoking yeah. in this day and age. Um, alcohol, maybe in particular for a girl, just because it makes people behave dumb. I, I don't like, if you're ever really around really drunk people, when you're oh, sober, gosh. you're just it's like, so boring and it's just like, okay, you're just loud. And this is annoying. Yes.
1: It's so boring to be no, no shade to, to the people who drink a lot, whatever, but, man, some I will, I will go to a party. There's always a tipping point. Not that I go to a ton of parties, yeah. let's be clear. Uh, but there's always a tipping point. Everybody's having a good time, and then boom.
0: It gets stupid.
1: It gets fucking stupid. And you're like, literally no one here is here. No yeah. one in this room is actually in this room. You're all on your own thing. Right. And I'm just kind of bored. I'm literally going to go home and do a crossword because we are not interacting. I'm interacting with however many drinks you had. You know, after a certain point, I call right. it the tipping point, you know, right. and actually t- to go back to writing, uh, I talk about this a lot with students of a, a really great writing exercise, write a party scene and then get that moment, that shift in there. Cause there's always, when you go to a party like that, there's always a moment when everything changes. I think, you I, yeah, I
0: think that's what I want to tell. I think what I will advise her is like, look, you're going to have to make the decision whether or not and how much you drink. Yeah. I know I can't control all that. Yeah. All I ask you to do is, like, for the first year that your friends are drinking, just watch. Like, just watch.
1: I don't. I have a hard time believing that'll happen. <laughs> I really do. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: do. She might. Do. She's well, so and nervous. also
1: that's so creepy. Like, <laughs> but, no, but I want her she's to. She's like her friends are drinking and she's just staring.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, but I just want. I think you need to just stare, honey. Just, just stare. Just <laughs> slack jaw. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I guess I want her to bear witness to the effects. Yeah. Um,
1: well, why don't you cut out the middleman and just sit her down one day and just get trashed? <laughs> just get your hand
0: to video it and just be like, this is you. <laughs> Maybe I will. I mean, yeah. you know, there's also like the, like, you know, urban sophisticated, uh, like bougie, like often white parent. Who's like, I give my teenager a glass of wine with dinner,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, cause I went to France wants yeah. or something, you yeah. know? And it's like, okay, maybe there's going to be some of that just to sort of, you know, you don't want to make it this boogeyman. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, wine was around when I was a kid. It seemed like when I was a teenager, if we had a family thing, yeah, you can have a little bit of wine. Yeah. It wasn't a big deal.
0: Right. Yeah. It shouldn't be. Um, so maybe some of that, but I don't know, I guess like the only, like, I think psychedelics, um, responsibly used, you know, and having done some Decent reading and understanding what the situation is and mm-hmm. the history is, and pot, um, those two feel reasonably defensible to me or defen- defensible to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Wait, so can I ask a question here or yeah. note something? Because I'm an avid, obviously fan of other people, and I notice a trend where often you'll be talking to writers, and then all of a sudden talking about drugs and alcohol and addiction. I feel like recently I was listening to one where you and I don't remember who you were talking to kind of scaled out and noticed that together. Like, oh, we talk about this a lot on the show.
0: Yeah, I talk um, about psychedelics a lot. I talk about I think drug and alcohol experiences just because I'm they they had a powerful impact on me, mm-hmm. like this like very concentrated phase of my life in college where it was like all the doors were open. I would have mm-hmm. done anything between hmm. the ages of it. Like, not not always to good effect. Yeah, sure. But that was my, like, I'm free. I'm going to experiment. I was given some bad information. I'm going to find out. Yeah. And uh, I think, like, too, at that age, young men in particular, like, are drawn to extreme experience. Mm. It was almost like I, w- I wanted to invite crazy into my yeah. life. Um, and it didn't always work out well, you know? And so um, I think, though, that it was formative. I think, though, in many ways it was like spiritually formative. Mm -hmm. It was powerful, uh, especially the psychedelic stuff. Um, but also like related trauma, you know, it wasn't just the drug experiences. It was kind of all of it. And so I'm curious to know if other people had similarly formative experiences. I think people who work in a creative mode, you know, those sorts of experiences often inform a certain sensibility. Um, and then I think, in particular, I'm fascinated by psychedelic experiences just because of how powerful they are, or can be, and how guaranteed how guaranteed it is if, mm-hmm. you, if you take enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know, like it's just uh, it's uh, it's it's actually hard. It's hard to language after the fact, but it is for most people, I think who have gone through it, uh, somewhat singular in terms of like how it impacted them, even in ways like you can't necessarily pin down, but it's just like, there's kind of a before and after it's like, Oh, okay. Like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Right. This is a, there's a lot more than meets the eye. Right. And the stories tend to be interesting. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. Well, at least for a time, you know? Yeah. So the book I'm writing now is based on, that time in my life my young 20s man we just smoked so much pot like it was insane and dumb you know like we i wasn't even really a person i was a pothead you know Not that those things are inextricable but so anyway um i decided to write about this time in my life and last year i was working on the book and i was like well the only way to really channel this is to get a little high and work on this right which actually Really uh, kept me focused. I was able to work for six, seven hour chunks, which is not normally how I write. So, so you know, I was like hyper focused. Anyway, wrote it, wrote it, wrote it, gave it to my agent, and um, bless the man, we love him. Who's your agent? His name is Chris Clemens. He's amazing. Love him.
0: That what agency?
1: He's at Jank, Janklo Nesbit now. Um, anyway, so I gave it to him, and he. <laughs> He, he, the, for the notes for the first like 50 pages are like yeah yeah this oh here's some thoughts and then the notes kind of trickle out where literally at the end he's i'm paraphrasing like what the fuck is going on <laughs> and so we got on the phone and I, you know i wasn't i knew i didn't i knew that it was a hot mess when i gave it to him this is what drafts are i know that it's a hot mess i just need you to help me see you know okay so we're going over the notes and he's very patient and loving and wonderful and I, f- I felt like at some point I had to tell him, Hey, by the way, I kind of was high for a lot of the writing of this. Cause I thought it was important because the protagonist is high and he's like, yeah, I could tell. <laughs> I was like,
0: well, there goes that experiment.
1: So, <laughs> so good when like your most trusted reader is like, this isn't working.
0: <laughs> well, but you know, I have a theory that because I, you know, there, I think there, there's like this romantic notion that you can get high and. Or, or I think even the more romantic writerly notion is that you can get drunk
1: yeah. and like write
0: brilliant prose.
1: I'm not one of those people. No, I don't think. I mean, yeah. I, I
0: would say 99 out of 100 writers yeah. can't do it. Yeah. And then there's like Bukowski, who can like drink wine and bang yeah. out like 80 yeah. pages or whatever. But, um, I, you know, I, I guess my general theory on pot is that it can be done. One can write or make art under the influence of pot, especially. I guess. I feel like visual art and pot and music and pot mm-hmm. are just like made for each other. Mm. And probably it's like more consistently good or something, but Yeah,
1: a better pairing, a better pairing, yes. but
0: like doing, <laughs> but doing like deep dive fiction or nonfiction writing
1: when you're like trying to create a plot and a narrative structure that makes sense. And a novel is so much work. I mean, but on the other side of it, cause now I'm just writing sober, um, what a fascinating creative experiment to write the experience of being high without being high. Having been high, I know what it's like. Yeah. But now I have this cool creative challenge where I'm trying to mirror the experience without actually being in the experience. Sure, yeah. So it's actually, it's actually really fun um,
0: you, and like, you have enough of a sample size of experience that you should have yeah. <laughs> plenty to draw on.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: I had years like that, like yeah. years where you're just like, Oh my God, like I just like smoke pot way too much. Yeah. Uh, then
1: maybe it was, um, I think it kind of petered out by the time I was, I guess it didn't last that long, maybe 19 to 21, maybe 19, 20, but, but I, to see, be but... high every day for two years, especially when your brain is still forming. That's a, that's just, that's a lot.
0: It's not advisable.
1: Well, I don't, can't say, cause I like myself and I like my life. Yeah. And like, so, you're, like what, here's how, the thing though, like yeah. your
0: sensibility, you have yeah. like a natural, like comedic sensibility and like a Thank good, you. yeah. Thank uh, you like, pretty. I think that, I think that it might have happened on its own, but I don't, I think pot has at least a little bit to do with that. Yeah.
1: Maybe. Or, or certainly this, the ability to think a little absurdly. That's what I mean. Like you just have a, it
0: it puts you into touch in some ways with how little, you know, and Mm. how absurd the situation Mm -hmm. that we're in Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know, like I, I can still enjoy the, I think the thought process part of it and like the kind of creative, if that's what you want to call it, aspects of it are the best part. Mm. I love that.
1: Well, for me and recent times, I don't really smoke pot anymore, but because I was so overwhelmed in the last few years, a big piece of it was the medicinal part where I was just literally could relax. Like literally my system wasn't like, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. the total freak out all day long. Yeah. Do you, take medic- <sighs> do you
0: have to take medication for anxiety? Like-
1: I don't personally, but I was for a little bit of time, marijuana was. I was. It was a medicine for yeah. me.
0: Cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you? It's, it's that, or what do you take Xanax? Like. Yeah. I mean, I know in some cases it can be helpful, but I, I don't see. I mean, if the cannabis that you're taking doesn't exacerbate your anxiety, yeah. which, which can also happen, sure,
1: depending on the strain or whatever. I'm not a. It seems, scientist. He- it seems like healthy.
0: <laughs> like I mean, or healthier. Like the side effects, the possi uh, possible. Um, you know, detrimental, long-term side effects. I feel like cannabis is pretty benign on that yeah. front.
1: Well, but then I definitely got to a place where it was like, okay, this is, I'm no longer using this as a medicine. I'm just, <laughs> this is just a habit now, so I don't need this. And also my agent was like, yeah, this novel sucks. Okay. Let's start over. <laughs> but <time> what to- <laughs> about, what about
0: first draft stoned and then Second you edit, draft. And then you're sober
1: wasted (laughs) (laughs) second draft Uh, really i mean i this goes back to what we were talking about how much work novels are i'm like second draft are you joking we're like 30 i mean not literally 30s a lot but it's so much work to write a novel and the concentration like
0: the brain power that it requires like you know i i don't think i could do it I i know i couldn't do it super stoned but I am interested and this is my my entire my entire substance any kind of substance uh intake that I have now is extremely limited. Like I'm I'm down to like one glass of wine if I have any. Yeah. Um if I go out, which I never do, I might have two. Mhm. But I can't tolerate any more than that. I cannot tolerate hangover. I haven't for years. Yeah. I cannot tell you the last time I was drunk. Yeah. Like I'm just over it. Yeah. I don't need it. It's and not then, fun. It's fun maybe when you're in it, but it's not fun the after the aftermath for me is too much. yeah
1: and, and then, you have kids, you have yeah. a podcast, you can't be messing no. around with that shit. <laughs> I've
0: got podcast <laughs> guests coming on the hour <laughs> and then uh pot um has to be very small dose. I don't like to lose control of my inner narrative, yeah, like where it's just like overwhelming and it gets to be annoying yeah, totally. but in a very small dose where like a dose so small that I can still like be a parent, yeah. Like that is the litmus for me. Yeah. I, if it inhibits my ability to, in an emergency, be a parent, sure. then like that's not sure. going to fly for yeah. me. But I think like nowadays because of um, edibles and, you know, it's a little bit, I wish they were a little bit more accurate on the dosage front. Like mm-hmm. There's a, there's like too much wiggle room mm-hmm. when you read the fight. I don't do
1: edibles. They terrify me.
0: Well, but if you get a small enough dose and then you break them. You in, like
1: lick a gummy bear?
0: Well, I mean, no, it's like a five milligram
1: Let's go. Let's go get some. <laughs> go.
0: But like a five milligram gummy bear should not. Overwhelm. I don't know
1: how much. Is that an that's average like the, size gummy bear? No, that's like
0: the smallest possible. Usually the, gummy bear. on the, on the lower end of the, of the dosage, uh, smorgasbord. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, buffet.
0: Yeah. The buffet. Truly. You go to one of these yes, shops, it's but true. even that's too much for me. Yeah. Cause I'm sensitive. Yeah. So it's like breaking it into a third or a half of that. And then it's like relaxing Yeah. and like somewhat stimulating mentally, but like not to the point where I feel, um, impaired. Yeah. And that's the only thing I can really yeah. tolerate.
1: Well, I will say this just about myself in the last, pff, I don't know, five years I've been like, I really like to have fun. And for me, having fun is doing dumb, dorky stuff. Like, uh, oh gosh, anything. Dump. Like if you're like, let's go to Ikea and get a hot dog and pretend the living room is our own yeah. and do a photo shoot. I'm like, fuck yeah. That yeah. sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Um, By the
0: way, what's the deal with the Ikea food? Like the meatballs, right? You go I don't
1: think I've ever had an Ikea meatball, but the day is young. And uh-huh. as soon as you hit stop on the podcast, we'll go to Ikea. I haven't had an Ikea meatball. Um, anyway, the point is I like to do dumb, fun stuff. And that for me personally, doesn't translate into drinking or getting high with people. I have no judgment. I can see my friends having fun. But you also but did me it personally, all. You did it all. Yeah. I didn't do it all, but I've done enough. You did enough. Yeah, you had your time. You know, yeah. I don't know how
0: old you are, but like, I think you get to a certain phase of life where hopefully you move on. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't, I look at people, I don't see it that often to be honest. But like, especially if I go to like a sporting event, go to like yeah. a football game, yeah. you see people like 50 years old, just shit faced. Yeah. And you're like, <clears throat> and you're like, uh, oh, this is just, Yeah. you just, you feel like uh, this is going to be so painful for yeah. this person when they wake up.
1: Yeah. Well, so speaking of dumb stuff. So my dad was like, I want to go to an angels game for father's day. And I'm like, cool, whatever you want, dad. And so In the lead up to it, I was like, I don't fucking care. Excuse Can I say the F word? I just did. I don't care about baseball, but I love my dad. And this will be more interesting and more fun if I get super invested in the fun aspect of it. So I was like, put my fun hat on. What do I know about baseball? Like an actual hat? It's a, it's a, yeah, it's an imagine. Well, also he bought me an angels hat, so it is an actual hat. Yeah. But, um, what is, what fun can be extrapolated from going to an angels game? T-shirt cannon jumbotron mascot the fucking organ guy like what do you know about baseball that's rad and fun right i mean yeah
0: yeah all All of those things
1: things. and so i went with my fun hat on determined to have fun it was so much fucking fun to just go and be like i'm gonna arbitrarily pick that team and give it my all and yeah it was so fun (laughs) and so we went again and i don't know if i should say this but i will i turned to my brother and i was like we're like halfway through the second game that we had gone to and i turned to my brother what, was and it I'm a like, doubleheader? no meaning it's the second baseball game oh, i've okay. been to this summer yeah angels yeah angels and i turned to my brother and i was like hey are the angels even any good he's like no they suck that's why the tickets are so cheap because like halfway through the game i was like we have like zero points people are like kind runs, of bored <laughs> runs, <laughs> runs. <laughs> zero runs um Anyway, so yeah, I was totally so sober as a kitten.
0: You didn't even and have a beer at the game. No, no, no. Nothing. I just
1: love to hang out and be with people I love, and like, so that was super fun for me. Just okay, we're rooting for the Angels. Let's just do it. Let's just go all in rooting for the Angels. That's great
0: that you can do that. Oh yeah, like that you can muster that. Yeah, you know, I sure. need more of that. I need to have more like more of that spirit.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a choice. It, it's it's what I mean is you know, going into a situation, I can either just like be in this situation or I can be in this situation, you know? And uh, I don't always have that, but especially if it's like, you know, my dad's like, I want to go to an angels game. I can show up and be cool. Or I can show up because my dad's not going to be here forever. Like how great is it going to be to be like, we had so much fun at the angels game. Right. You know,
0: that's right. So it was rad. That seems wise. Like, I think that, uh, like this year at Halloween, I told my wife, I was like, I got to dress up. I don't dress up.
1: What? Brad, you got to dress up. I know. But what are you going to be?
0: I'm always like, oh, I don't want
1: to You should be myself. a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to just carry my microphone around. <laughs>
1: Wait, what are you going to be? Have you thought about it?
0: I don't know. It's like a pirate, I think, or like, it's going to be some sort of family affair. Cute. But I have made the commitment to like, try to be more, like more of a fun dad. Yeah. Because I think typically I'm like, this is for children. I'm happy for my kids. Yeah.
1: Have a good time. I don't
0: love holidays, but I need to like have a better attitude.
1: Yeah. Yeah, have a better attitude. I'm kind of grumpy. So actually, I want to ask you a question because yesterday I saw you tweet. This is totally unrelated. You tweeted like, yeah, I'm paraphrasing the tone. Forgive me. You're like, I could, you know, researching a writer that's coming in, but wouldn't you rather just like talk to people? And I didn't want to presume that you were talking about me, but it was... I was uh, speaking uh, broadly. Yeah, speaking broadly. (laughs) But I wanted to be like, yo, dude, we can just talk. Like, there's no agenda. Well,
0: you're easy to talk to. Thank you. I think like you know just as a i've said this many times before but it bears repeating is that the conception of this show has not changed from day 1 which i find interesting mm. and sort of like um i'm not proud of it but i'm just like hey i said from the start just because of my life and my day job and my family yeah like to do the show i can only do the show this way yeah um and it's, you
1: mean like not overthink it, not overprepare, not mo- stress out,
0: mostly improvisational, yeah. like wedged into the rest of my life. Like yeah. this isn't the only thing I do. Yeah, I wish it were, if yeah. this were just my day job, I you would...
1: wouldn't know it from your tweets, but <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, right? well, I mean, yeah. I'm on my phone and like, that's just my little like place to bleat, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 Um, but I've got a lot going on. And so I I think that I was thinking about, this some more lately. And I think that one of the things, or one of the reasons why it's of interest to me and why I keep doing it is that it exists at like this confluence of my personal interests. Yeah, Meaning I'm interested in people. I'm especially interested in people who are attempting to live, uh, or live their lives with a rich inner life. Yeah who are, you know, doing the writing work and thinking deeply about things and feeling deeply about things and trying to understand, like not everybody you meet is interested in that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and so this is, these are my people. I also feel a sense of, um, great, good luck in my life. Like I'm a very fortunate guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like it's good to be of service. It's Mm -hmm. the appropriate response to like Mm -hmm. help other writers. This is my community. I'm going to try to help this tribe. Um, but then I'm also like way into like Buddhism and meditation and like trying to, um, cultivate awareness Mm -hmm. and to be, to have good conversations requires that. Yeah. This is like going to the gym for that. Yeah. Like I, that's, I think that's, I didn't necessarily define it that way to myself early on, early on, but I'm like, Oh, so yeah, that's why I think I like it so much is that it's like a way to put. Like all the sitting on the cushion that I do every day for yeah. years and years and years yeah. and years, like it works when you write.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but for me, like especially in conversations where, you know, if you want to be able to volley with somebody you just met, you know, 20 minutes ago, yeah, um, you have to really be there for people. Yeah, And so I think that that is part of it. I like improvisational art.
1: Yeah. I like it. Same. You know? But so let me ask you a question because... I do think I'm easy to talk to. I like, I go to parties. I have a good time, sober, banter. I love, well, actually, I don't like small talk. I fucking hate small talk. Me too. Yeah. But I love just curiosity. I love people circling questions or just being like, you know, just riffing about stuff. It's kind of one of my favorite things. But I will go home from a party. This whole podcast sounds like all I do is party, (laughs) smoke (laughs) weed, and write. And it's so not true at all. Um, but I will come home and feel a little depleted and full, you know, like, oh, that was nice, but I need to be alone for a minute. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. It, like, so after a session, do you just need a minute to like, it's hard for yeah. me to
0: do, like, I can't, it's hard for, I don't prefer to do multiple interviews in a day. Yeah. Um, like one is good. Yeah. And, and I want to make sure I give people my full attention. Yeah. Like it definitely takes some energy. Just like going to a party and like being tuned in, being on being on, mm-hmm. you know some people, but I have a friend I call her like I'm thinking of one person in particular, but she's not the only one. I call her like a social savant, like well, knows everybody, has everybody's names, keeps her people, yeah, keeps track of everybody, yeah, constantly being social, yeah. constantly going out to dinners, constantly throwing parties, yeah. and I'm just like I'm exhausted, contemplating
1: just watching you that
0: mode, yeah, yeah. I you know, but there are people who. That's how they're wired. They're yeah. up, they're full on extroverts. Yeah. And it's like fuel to them. Yeah. And for me, I can do that, but I guess I'm just a little bit more introverted.
1: Yeah. Um, Same. I need to go home eventually and just sit for a minute. I think
0: most people yeah. are that way. I mean, right. Yeah. I, like, I There are some people who are just like hardcore introverts,
1: mm-hmm. though
0: I think they are rare. And, and then I think there are these hardcore extroverts, but they're also rare. I think yeah. most of us are in this middle ground. Yeah. Like, I don't know too many people who go to a party and, like, come home and, like, I can't sleep. It was so great. Yeah, yeah. I'm always like, ah, you yeah. know.
1: Although when you have that experience, how beautiful to go to anything, event or reading. Like, you know, I don't know about you. We go to a lot of readings. Generally, they're great. But when they're great, you know, it's, it's actually kind of the same with books. Like, I love reading. I love reading. Read, 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 read. And then maybe once a year. Once every year and a half to two years, you're like, oh, fuck this book, right? This book.
0: I live for that.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, you can't predict it. You have no idea what it's going to be. You don't know where it's coming. You just have to keep reading and hope for the best. But when, when that book for me, it's average every year and a half to two years. What's a recent one? Oh, my gosh. I'm happy that you asked because it was just this week. It's um, How Should a Person Be by Sheila Hetty. Have yeah, you read this book? It's sitting on my oh shelf. Oh, my gosh. I just went to the library. I was like, this looks interesting. And it was one of those things where you're like this book is fucking weird this book is fucking rad and such a cool reminder of what books can do right and um i
0: love that book too oh it's so good i talked to her on the show a couple times
1: it's so good yeah
0: she's uh and she just had this book motherhood that came out i didn't read that. it's the
1: only book of hers i've read and now i haven't read it is it good how should a person be no motherhood oh no 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 i've only read how should a person be Um, i haven't read her other stuff you know bits here and there but not sat with a whole book and now i'm like okay i might be her biggest fan now i don't know i have to get the others but um so that was the most recent one you should email her but well maybe i will i'll tweet her
0: you got you got to like, <laughs> i should you're anytime right. you should. have a book hit you that hard where you're like because like authors are easy to get to and like who doesn't like getting that email yeah do it
1: yeah that's true i will
0: you know it doesn't I doesn't have to be long
1: no i will i'll do it after the show for lie. sure
0: it doesn't have to rhyme or anything
1: yeah <laughs>
0: Sheila, how I admire (laughs) (laughs) thee.
1: No, you're right. Because I liked, uh, actually, it makes me think of um, another experience. Do you know who Will Mackin is? You had Will Mackin on the show. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. He had a a short story in The New Yorker a couple years ago, Crossing the River No Name. Did you read this? Uh, No. Story? Oh, my gosh. It was, I read the short story in The New Yorker, literally put the magazine down picked it up and read it like completely blown away twice in a row and just had to email him immediately. Um, And I don't say it for a reason other than that experience of reading where you literally feel lifted out of your own body and like, Oh my gosh. It's so, I don't even wish for it more because when it happens it's so beautiful and wonderful and rare that you're like it's okay that this only happens every now and then because then it's more special
0: yeah you don't want to get greedy you don't
1: want to get greedy and you don't want to diminish the times that it happens but um that that is a very recent one where i and now i teach that story because it's so beautiful you should read it it's incredible what's it called again it's called crossing the river no name you can find i can email it to you You can find it online but it's And I haven't read the collection that it's from. I think the collection came out last year, in part because I think unconsciously I'm like, I don't want, I want all of the stories to be that way, it feel feels no, impossible. You know what, I have
0: the same, I'm very similar. I don't, I have a hard time doing the reading where you're sort of like slogging through to get to that book.
1: Yeah. I should yeah. be
0: better about it. But like I have, you know, recently, like I've just been like, man, I've been in a dry spell where I can't find like the book that just
1: like, what's, so what's one for you that re- besides mine, <laughs> um, I'm trying to
0: think of like a book. It's like, it's like the thing about it for me is that it's a book that speaks directly to my own life somehow mm-hmm. and like feels like it's helping me solve my problems or it is the kind of art that I aspire to make.
1: Yeah. Well, that was the heady book is I was like, oh, cause I'm grappling with my own novel Yeah, uh, structurally and then it was like, oh, you can do so much with structure. There's no... Even if you're following a traditional narrative arc. Right. You know, like the three-act structure or whatever. There's so much you can do within that.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, do you have one off the top of your head? It's
0: hard to say. I could put, like, put me on the spot. Yeah, you don't have to. I'm like looking around. Let me see if there's one up here. I mean, I really did like... I really did like uh, Sheila's book. I mean, we have that in common. That was one of those books that was sticky to me. Um, um, I,
1: you have Madness, Rack, and Honey. That was another one.
0: Uh, you know, the I've had Mar- more than one person tell me.
1: Oh, God. have you read it? Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That yeah. book is so good. I don't even own it. I got it at the library. Somebody loaned it to me or something. But, yeah, that's yeah. one of mine.
0: Um, I liked Cult of Loretta by Kevin Maloney. Have I liked it? people are going to bag you know bag on me for this but like I liked purity by Jonathan Franzen.
1: Yeah, that people a have a thing I, with Franzen.
0: They do. I haven't read it. I am I'm am going to take a stand and be the counterpoint. This like, is
1: the hill that I will die this on. This <laughs> is the hill that I will die on.
0: I think he's a really good writer and I don't I think like he, he I think sometimes like he maybe there's some tone deafness. Um
1: I don't think maybe I don't know. But I think that's the main beef that people have with Franzen, isn't it?
0: I think so. The tone deafness. And like, look, I just, I guess I'm just, perhaps I'm too forgiving. Mm. But like somebody writes an essay and says like one wrong thing or like, I guess I don't don't care enough. I'm like, okay, like that's his essay. That's his take. Leave the guy alone. Like maybe he's wrong. Maybe he's really wrong. I
1: don't know enough but I'm assuming it wasn't like super bigoted or sexist or hateful. Cause those things I could imagine being like, fuck you. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. And like, but you know, there was like the, there was an, uh, an essay he wrote for the New Yorker where he, he talked about, I think it's Edith Wharton's appearance uh-huh. in a way that offended oh.
1: many. Oh, um, I thought you were going to talk about the birding one. Yeah. An essay about birding. <laughs> but I don't I mean, know. Like, I think it's like, yeah,
0: I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's uh, a pretty brilliant fiction writer and a smart guy. And I, I interviewed him for the show, uh-huh. and again it was a it was a remote, so you know I wasn't sitting in the room. Mm-hmm. But I like almost just about like ninety nine point nine percent of the people I interview. I'm like, ah, oh, he's a good, he's a decent person. Yeah, like is this really the guy that needs to be the the villain? Like, yeah. come on, I think yeah. I think maybe there are some errors of judgment or presentation or opinion or you know, I don't
1: know enough about. I, I, I just know that people bristle at Franzen.
0: And what I'm getting... Rightfully,
1: so I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. And, and Forgive you know me. Maybe, maybe I'm missing that.
0: something. But I think what I was getting to is that, like, I think there are. He makes a take and it's loud because people pay attention yeah. to what he has to say. Yeah. And then everybody who, uh, quote unquote, hates him, amplifies it by right. like bitching about him right. on social. It's like if you right. really don't like the guy, maybe don't be his publicist. Right. <laughs> uh, but right. then I think right. uh, the other part of it, which goes unsaid, is that. He's just a very successful writer of literary fiction. And I think there's people who are jealous. Yeah. I don't think everybody who dislikes him is it's jealousy that's driving them. Right. But come on. Right. That's gotta be at least part of it. Yeah. I don't you, know.
1: I can, I have I don't, I don't know his work. I don't want to speak for other people, but you can say that when you're at that level of exposure, you're exposed to more cr- criticism and critique. Right. Yeah. So, and if you issue oh, like, a, if you
0: issue a strong take, I guess I'm like, I'm, I'm, re- I, I want to be really liberal in my acceptance of strong takes and including the takes that come back where they're like, Franzin is wrong. He sucks. Okay. Yeah. Like you can say yeah. that too, mm-hmm. but like, I just don't like like the demonization where it's like, he's a devil.
1: You yeah, know, like okay. They're, I don't know enough about him to say whether or not he is. they are yeah. better devils. Yeah, they're, they're better, better devils. Better devils.
0: <laughs> better devils to pick on than like this yeah. nerd, the nerdy like bookworm, like yeah. bird watching guy with like opinions. Like, I, you know, we all have our flaws. He's got his. We can, mm. we can if you, if that's what you want to do, is document them and bristle against them. Yeah. Maybe you're seeing something I'm missing. Yeah. But I just looked up at my shelf and I was like, I, I, gotta admit, I
1: got it. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody.
0: I thought Pierre. Like, I yeah. I always say that if I finish a book, it's a good book,
1: yeah, that's real
0: I, if I can get it for through,
1: you, you know it was enjoyable experience. I yeah. got through it, yeah, but
0: like that one, I remember being like, I'm staying up late, yeah, and turning pages yeah. and I enjoyed it a lot yeah. um, I read uh I reread the novel Taipei by Tallinn, uh-huh because i th- I thought it was such like it's such a like strangely detailed work of auto fiction, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. It felt like a crazy level of specificity and recall. Yeah.
1: Is that the only novel of his you've read?
0: Uh, I read Taipei. I've read Trip. I Um, read Trip. And maybe like the the one about American apparel, shoplifting in American apparel.
1: Wait, I might. Oh, no. I was going to say I might have read that in one sitting in an American apparel. And what's the one with like the
0: you know, I don't know. I've read a lot of his work, but I think the most recent work is the stuff that's strongest. To me. I think Taipei and trip are the most interesting to me, yeah. but that's a book. You know, if I reread a book, that's super rare. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There are a lot, you know, I, I, I say that there are books or that I have a hard time finding like the book, but the truth is that, you know, many books have touched me. Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: But that experience of being completely blown away is, I mean, it's, probably a little corny to be like that's why we do it because i don't really think that i that's not my aspiration i don't go i'm gonna blow people away with this one that feels a little (laughs) self-important you know um but that experience when it happens to you is so i mean if you could bottle that shit right and sell that it's so beautiful anybody
0: Anybody who writes it's like it's like you know you want to you love the magic trick so much. You want to learn how to do it. Yeah. You know, you start as a reader and somebody blows you away and you're like, Oh yeah, if I could do that for yeah. somebody else. Somehow. Yeah. I
1: think that's so enough. wait, we might be getting up against time, but what was that book for you as a young reader? Cause I know mine.
0: <sighs> I mean, as a super young reader, it was probably like breakfast of champions by Kurt Vonnegut.
1: Wait, how old were you? Seven. <laughs> that was that day you went off to yeah. preschool.
0: No, I mean, uh, I mean, I was like probably in junior high or uh, high school. Wow. Because I was... In, I mean, you're talking about when I was a kid.
1: No, just if you can remember the first book that you're like, I want to do that.
0: Oh. Oh, I mean, on some level, when I was really little, it was like Shel Silverstein. Mm. I think it was the... I think like Shel... I always characterize Shel Silverstein as my introduction to subversive literature, uh-huh. which I think he functioned as for a lot of kids. Because yeah. these poems are sort of like, I'm skipping school. Yeah. Like the world's yeah. bullshit. I'm not
1: taking out the trash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally.
0: And so... I think that, and then it's funny and it can be funny in sort of inappropriate ways. I always responded to that. Yeah. And yeah. I think maybe it was me, like even then butting up against like the Catholicism of my youth, which never registered with me. Yeah. And you were
1: rebelling through
0: I was always poetry. working against it. Yeah. I was always working against it. And so, you know, that gave, you know, that books and and writing and reading gives you like entree to new modes of thinking.
1: Yeah. And for Shel Silverstein, best slash most terrifying author photo, like the, rapiest, the, whole back of the The whole back you know, of like, the fucking where the sidewalk, I just remember being a kid and being loving those poems and like literally couldn't look at the back of that or having to take the sleeve off because yeah. the photo was so terrifying. Isn't,
0: isn't there like a barefoot involved too? Like I don't remember. Yeah. I,
1: the one I'm thinking of, it's just his head and he's oh. like, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's yeah. kind
0: of, he had like a strong, like menacing, like look to him. Yeah. But. Uh, he could write and illustrate for children. Yeah, I mean, how yeah. many millions of copies did that book sell? So
1: wonderful. Um, so for me, it was James and the Giant Peach. I was in the third grade and rolled all and read James and the Giant Peach and was like, "What the fuck? Yeah. Books can do this." Yeah, um, and a little bit of Amelia Bedelia. Maybe we were talking about absurd sense of humor. Yeah, so that that stuff really stayed with me or really struck me when I was young, but. James and the Giant Peach was like...
0: That was the one. Oh, yeah. Set you For on your sure. course. For so sure. you, you knew from a young age, like from that point?
1: That I want to be a writer? Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh. Um No. I don't think I... I didn't know that I was like, okay, I want to do this until I was 24 or 25 or something. Oh, that's... Yeah. I mean,
0: that's... I don't know. That's still early. I mean,
1: I wrote my whole life really bad poems, really bad poems, but really 25 ish, I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to try this out. What was, sure.
0: what was there something that pushed you over the line or was it just an accumulation of?
1: Yeah, there were two things. I had a class at Humboldt Community College. I don't remember the community college of Eureka, California. I don't remember the name of it. And
0: you don't remember the name of the college.
1: I don't. I was <laughs> high. No, I was. I actually wasn't high, but, um,
0: I mean, in humble, you're just by, <laughs> by being there. You I don't
1: remember. It's whatever the community college is in Eureka. And I took a creative first creative writing class I took there. And the instructor was like, I had turned in some stories. You should try to get this. You should send this out. And it was the first time that that even occurred to me as a possibility. Um, so that was really like light bulb moment. And thinking back now, I'm like, oh, my God, that story was probably terrible. What could he have seen in that story? That well, he was high, too. So. Yeah, we were all high. <laughs> exactly. And then the second thing is um, I was graduating from my undergrad, and I was applying to MFAs, and I went to a professor for a letter of rec, and she was an English professor. She was very hardcore. She was incredible, but she was made of steel. And she was like, I don't remember. I do remember her name, but I'm not going to say it. She said, um, what are you going to do with an MFA? Which, looking back, is a little absurd. Like, what am I going to do with a master's degree in fucking English literature? Right. But she basically was like, you should study English literature. Don't get an MFA. And I caveat here, you don't need an MFA to write, period. But I went home that night, and I was like really sitting with that and thought, really realized if I don't at least try this, like I could go my whole life and never try to be an English professor and I wouldn't have doubts about my choices. But if I go my whole life and never at least try to be a writer that will eat at me. And that was sort of the moment that I was like, okay, I have to at least give it a shot. You know,
0: that seems like a good Um, way to weigh it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, now that we're talking about it at 25, Thank the heavens that I had that moment of perspective. That's how, that's how I
0: became a podcaster. I, like, it's if beautiful. I, I don't do this now. If I don't do it,
1: <laughs> what legacy am I handing down to my children? If I don't buy and these my children's children.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's been such a joy talking to you. Wait,
1: before we end, I have to say something oh, God. very, no, it's very heartfelt and very real, which is, um, I've prepared this speech before I came. I want you and all of your listeners to know that I fucking love other people. I have kind of fallen off listening, not just to your podcast, but to a lot of podcasts. Um, I think it's so wonderful. And I will say last week I was kind of having a hard day and I was like, I'm having a hard day. I know what will make me feel better. Hand to God. I know what will make me feel better. And I put on other people and um, I can't speak for anybody but myself, but this podcast brings so much joy to my life. And... um, If you're bringing this much joy to my life and I'm just one person, I can't even imagine. There's got to be at least four or five other people who feel (laughs) the same way other people. And the last thing I want to say is, I don't know if you've, you maybe haven't done it in a while, but when you do the crow sound, oh God, it's podcast gold. So hopefully I, by the way, I
0: feel like I should, that's like, that is my homage to Howard Stern. There is a woman, Mary, who calls into Howard Stern and they play the crow noise
1: Oh, I don't listen to Howard Stern. I have no idea. So like
0: there's a crow, and and there was a reason way back when, when I first pulled the crow sound where I was like, this sounds like the same crow sound that Howard uses, but it's like, how many crow sounds are there?
1: It's the one crow. Um,
0: but I just, to me, it's always like my little like salute, like, you know, just because
1: it's so, and when you've done it historically, it's so perfectly timed. So maybe you can go back and post and put a crow in here somewhere. Um, <laughs> I will try but... to put a crow
0: in your episode for you. <laughs> Thank you. It's very sweet of you to say that. I'm glad yeah. I, you know, that's, uh, I tend to feel like, like I have so much fun doing it. It's gotta be fun. It's gotta be at least somewhat fun for some people to listen yeah. to. Um, well,
1: and just, um, writer to writer. I've been reading a lot of like memoirs lately of different actors and artists and creators And it's so incredible, one, to engage with somebody's art, but also to get like the behind the scenes, hearing people talk about their process or talk about the valleys or just hearing folks talk about, you know, what goes on behind the page, if you will, is just really beautiful and useful for any, for me personally, you know, really involved in this endeavor. And I'm just so glad to be here. And so thank you.
0: That's very sweet. Thank you for coming over. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, there she is That's Zulema Renee Summerfield And her novel is called Every Other Weekend Out There Now from Back Bay Books Every Other Weekend Go get your copy You can find Zulema on the internet At ZulemaSummerfield.net You can follow her on Twitter Her handle over there is At Zulipper That's Z-U-Lipper With two P's You know how to find somebody on Twitter, right? Do I need to explain this to you? Zulema Renee Summerfield and the novel One More Time is called Every Other Weekend. Thank you to Tiger in My Tank for the interstitial music there at the top of the program. If you would like to write to me, the address is letters at other ppl.com. Letters at other Let me know what you think. Tell me a story. Share your feelings. Also, don't forget about the Other People app. This program has its own official app. The Other People with Brad Listy app is out there wherever you get your apps, and it is free. Everything's free. I make this offering to the universe freely. That said, if you would like to uh, show some support, tip your server, you can do that at patreon.com otherpplpod pod. If you feel that this show uh, nourishes you in some way. What do I got here? Let's see. Coming up next on the program is a conversation with uh, Madeline Stevens, so stay tuned for that one. How are you holding up, by the way, this crazy moment? If you read the news, it's a crazy moment. I don't understand people who don't pay attention to this. Oh, it's like, oh, the house is on fire. Oh well. I'm just gonna sit here on the porch and drink lemonade.